one to fly over footy on the big 550 KTRS. If you're listening to us for the first time, uh, this is the first time we're airing an hour and a half before the start of the game on Saturday. So if you're listening to us for the first time, we are a St. Louis soccer podcast and uh, we get nerdy. We talk about this, the basics too. We, we recap, we preview, we do, we talk about soccer news in the city. And so uh, welcome. We're here to have a good time and to educate you. Um, and so I hope you enjoy it and look us up in the future if you uh, do feel like doing that. Uh, I'm going to do something. I'm going to correct something I did wrong as a rookie mistake I did last week. I didn't introduce anybody. <laughs> so I want to say, first of all, that I am Phil Grooms. Uh, I've been doing this for a few years under the moniker of STL Soccer Report at times. And it's been flyover footy since my friends joined me here. And uh, we'll, we'll skip straight to them. Matt Baker is the one that you're hearing on a lot of these commercials and features. Matt, Hi. you've been all over the place on every podcast and radio show I can think of. Matt, how's it going, man? And uh, and welcome to the radio. It's going great. I'm just lucky to be able to talk about what I'm passionate about to anybody that's going to listen. I, I, I'm, I don't feel myself doing anything special. It's just I love to be a student of the game. I love to absorb and learn as much as possible, especially related to St. Louis. It's been one of the most unique things in the world to be able to follow the build of an expansion side and what that means for St. Louis and helping everybody to get up to speed on MLS and all the unique things in that league. And now it's all here. So there's nothing better than to be able to recap a game and look ahead. So I'm excited to keep this going. Me too. This is my favorite thing is just to talk about soccer. And we're just so lucky to, to have this opportunity. Um, and next up, a man who talks about soccer during the game. Santiago Beltran does the Spanish language broadcast for the radio. Santiago, tell everybody about yourself. And uh, by the way, he's joining us in a car on the way to Kansas City today. This is how dedicated this man is. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, yeah, joining from a remote location, but I'm here. Uh, but no, excited to be here talking to you guys and had a blast the first game, called three goals. So uh, what else can you ask for, you know, and, and a win for St. Louis City SC. It doesn't get any better than that. Yeah. That's right. We're keeping we're keeping you busy during the games, having to call goals and get creative with it. Six goals in two games, Santi. What do you think, man? Well, it's a, it's a great start. Um, obviously, three goals each game. And you can see that exciting style that the team uh, is implementing or has implemented, uh, quick transitions. Uh, so it's, it's basically everything we thought was going to happen and the team was going to do, we're seeing it. Uh, uh, solid in defense, quick transitions, uh, press and counter press. So um, I really like what I have seen so far. Me too. And, and Matt, you're going to kind of get us started with the starting lineup here. Uh, you wrote them down for me to read off, but I think it's better if you tell us all about this change to a 4-4-2 rather than a 4-2-3-1, right? Yeah, whether you want to view it as a 4-2-2-2 or a 4-4-2, I think the takeaways were we made two changes in this match from the Austin, uh, Charlotte, that is last week. So we subbed in uh, Jabulu Blom, started the match, whereas Indy Vasilev had started the previous match. And we brought in um, Nico Joachini to start up top in place of Rasmus Alm. So it was more of a vertical attack, and I thought that worked really well against a team like Charlotte, who was really weak out on the wings. They, they were not able to do much uh, in their first match, and, and it really kind of kept the, kept the pace going 
against us. And so what we were able to do pretty consistently is create that verticality and let our wingers, uh, Jared Stroud and Tomas Ostrock, do their thing in those 1v1s on the outside. As we saw throughout the match, this also gave some incredible creativity in our final attacking third with Klaus and Joachini playing pretty well off of each other. Nico Joachini in particular, I thought was incredible in his just drive and his commitment to attack the ball. There were multiple times in that game where he had 1v1s against the keeper, putting pressure on the keeper, almost causing turnovers, which we're going to circle back to and how that has been vitally important to the St. Louis offense. <laughs> but this lineup in particular was still, like like in Austin, extremely strong on the back end. So our back line, our midfielders, really controlled the pace of play often throughout the game. And and so that consistency that you see between uh, Hebert, Parker, Nelson, Nerwinski, uh, Leuven, and Blome kind of shone through from Austin to Charlotte. That, that provided the exact same thing we saw for 70, 75 minutes against Austin and really set the tone for this entire game. Yeah, it definitely had a different look with Joe Keeney up top. And, you know, I got word in the press conference today that perhaps he hasn't started the first game mainly because he's been slightly injured. Um, and that could go either way in the way that it was said. But that's one thing um, that perhaps is the case to see how much he plays in the future. Santiago, any thoughts on the formation and how they played? Um, we got a goal to talk about if you want to talk about the first Charlotte goal. Yeah, so... Nico Giacchini looked really good and yeah this week um, he was out of practice um, he was out yesterday he was out on on Tuesday also but he trained today and uh, coach Carnell said he had a good training session and that now uh, he has to think on whether he's gonna play uh, with two strikers or with just one so so we'll see if he's in the starting line and again but talking about the first goal uh, obviously it was an own goal so that starts the conversation about st louis getting gifts but again uh, it's it's the result of um what the team is doing and and their whiskey with with that cross uh, looking for klaus and and klaus um was close to getting it and obviously that caused uh the charlotte um center back to um to basically he headed it, but he headed backwards and tried to head Cisniegas it over the net. Yeah, and Cisniegas, um, Cisniega was out uh, of um, goal, and that was that was the first goal for St. Louis CDSC at the stadium. I was talking to somebody <laughs> like first first goal ever, opposing team, and then first city goal, an own goal. But it is what it is, and and those still count. So, um, and it came at at the right moment. The team was having a hard time after the first goal and couldn't find the ball for uh, for some time and and that goal basically changed everything uh, changed everything in that in this game so that was good timing for that goal and one of the things that, one of the things that I thought was really interesting with those first two goals that you saw for a lot of the game and it's kind of our style of play are the role of our fullbacks so with the first Charlotte goal uh, being kind of that that standard setter for the game where Capetti after a lot of yapping before and after that goal, including a run in with Berkey, he was able to kind of score that first city city park goal. And the way he did it was more or less a transition goal. So we never fully got set. And if you've heard us talk about our Austin match, some preseason matches, it's pretty clear that when St. Louis city is able to set and, and get set in almost a, 
a back four and whether it's a, a front four and, and letting our midfielders roam around. If we can get set, we're pretty good on defending, and it's been very consistent. When we're not able to get set and we're working in transition and teams are able to make some some running moves inside and out, that's when we've been vulnerable. And Capetti kind of highlighted that where it was a John Nelson turnover uh, in our attacking third. Charlotte was able to counter very quickly, and their two DPs, uh, Carol Swiderski and Enzo Capetti, were the ones who who started and finished the attack. And the way that Capetti got through is is our defense shifted to the left side of the field where instead of our two center backs being in the box, you had Tim Parker, our right center back, and Jake Nerwinski, our right back, in the box right in front of Berkey. And Capetti, you could kind of see uh, Jake Nerwinski see Capetti circle around him. He had eyes on him, and then he lost him. And Capetti was able to go around it, behind Nerwinski and come up between the two defenders almost to where Parker didn't have a chance. He had never seen him. He almost was leaving him to Nerwinski. And Nerwinski just lost him for a moment. Capetti remained on side for the cross. And that's how he was able to find space in between the two. A really important thing to point out is, especially when you look at the goal, I was trying to figure out whose fault was that. And um, you saw Parker turn around to Jake and be like, Jake, where were you? And then Jake points to the left or to his right. And that's mm-hmm. because the left back was overlapping over and he had to cover him on the back post. How many times mm-hmm. do you see a fullback not paying attention to the back post and getting an easy goal to the other side? And in this case, Jake was being a responsible fullback and Capetti, Matt, you described it perfectly, but I think like the other side to this is that is mm-hmm. such a veteran move to jump between those defenders and then sneak back central behind the center back so that he doesn't know you were there. That is a <laughs> DP move and it was a yes. DP finish and it was a really good cross in on top of that but you know they unlocked us and we weren't quite set like you said Matt it wasn't an insanely fast counterattack. we had men back but again like you said we weren't set we had a veteran move behind us just really well done by Charlotte um, a lot of teams will be caught in that way it wasn't like St. Louis did a bad job there I don't think no and on the flip side though our other goals were more or less facilitated by our fullbacks that that attacking presence that they provide is the antithesis to that transition defensive weakness you could kind of say i hesitate to say it's too, i don't want to draw too much attention to it only because we haven't been burned by it too many times the few goals we've allowed um the, the two of the three goals we've allowed have been in those transition defense moments and so our fullbacks where yes there are opportunities to improve but just like that first own goal that charlotte scored for us it was on a cross by jake nerwinski mm. and to that point our our press our keeping the the opponent uncomfortable the way that played out i think was said perfectly by i think it was carnell this week in Nico Joachini by being so aggressive when that ball went out of play he's not the guy who throws in the ball for us but he was in that sense because he could tell that the defense for Charlotte wasn't set he got the ball in as quick as possible to Nerwinski Nerwinski crossed it into a very dangerous position that was a that was a quality cross by Nerwinski with his weak foot and it it made good things happen which is another hallmark of our team in those first two games is peppering the defense peppering that attacking third being so unpredictable and creative the allowing our staff allowing our team to be so creative in that final third are creating significant problems for the defenses. Indeed they are. And, you know, to, to continue on the goals, we got to jump through these next two goals uh, because we want to talk about 
how we got these goals and, and what we think about the team in that regard. Uh, but the second St. Louis goal happened in stoppage time. Um, and so this is yet another goal that was scored, not through the run of play by St. Louis. So at this point, we still haven't scored a goal with our own feet. Uh, but in this case, it was a, uh, pardon me, a Swiderski handball just inside the box. Good call. It had to be called. Even looking back, it was, back, the, right it was the right call. Yeah. Um, and so Leuven, uh, scores this goal on a on a penalty. Boy, he skied it into the top. Anyone else worried that it might go over? I got worried in the moment. <laughs> for, for a moment, I thought it was going to go over. I was like, oh, no. And then, uh, but yeah, great, great. It was Here, buried like, in that left corner. Yeah. He said it was corner, the best one he's ever so, scored. <laughs> yeah, it was a great uh, penalty kick. It was indeed. Let's talk about the third goal, Matt. You want to talk about this one? The third yeah, St. So, Louis goal, sorry. So the third St. Louis goal, I think, started again with Nico Joachini, forcing a turnover in our defensive side. He was able to gather the ball, play it up very quickly. You see two passes uh, kind of strung really quickly. Um, one from Joachini to Leuven. Uh, Leuven kind of tried to play it, couldn't really, couldn't really get it over, um, ended up turning it over. Klaus keeping the pressure on Charlotte. And so so you're seeing a lot of attempted quick movements. You're seeing a lot a turnover there. And when Klaus tried to play the ball, he remained in the same position essentially that Jared Stroud was against Austin. Um, by being that high up the field and by our team quickly moving the ball up the field after after forcing a turnover, um, that allowed Tomas Ostrak to put some pressure on their defender Melanda. And reminiscent of John Nelson doing the exact same thing against the Austin defense uh, and Kip Keller, Melanda was trying to make a back pass. This was a little more of a of a acceptable back pass to me because Klaus was not directly between the defender and the keeper. So if you're picturing uh, a defensive player on the right their right side making a back pass to the keeper, Klaus was more in the center of the field. And as he extended, fully extended his foot to capture that. He was right place, right time. But as we're going to talk about in a second, my my firm belief is that was no luck had to do with that. That was a no. complete byproduct of the system and the the high press and the pressure that we've been performing. But he was able to not only get the leg out, he was able to flick it, not unlike we saw against uh, us with Sebastian Driussi against Austin, flick it over the keeper for that third goal. Indeed. And let's just jump right into that that debate because everyone around the league is talking about, you know, if you're not a St. Louis fan, then the question is, uh, are you guys ever going to score any goals that aren't gifted to you in one way or another? You know and I mean? I think we have one goal through the run of play, and, and depending on how you want to picture them, but in the two games, I mean. And so, um, you know, are we getting lucky? Are we being handed goals? Is the ref handing us a goal? Or is this a product of our pressing of our system is a little in between Santiago. You got to start us with this one. Yeah, it's definitely a product of, of the system of, of what the team is doing to have quick transitions to also uh, press uh, when the other teams uh, get the ball back. Don't let them settle uh, when they're trying to start playing from the back. So I think uh, the end result is yes, uh, a bad pass or a penalty kick, but St. Louis is doing the dirty job to create all these chances. And talking about the second goal, 
yeah, you're saying it wasn't the run of play. It was a penalty kick, but the play that created that penalty kick started all the way in the back with, with Roman Berkey and mm -hmm. uh, Joachini, Stroud, Nelson were involved, uh, and that was a quick transition. So, so you have to give credit to to the team for creating those opportunities. So, I I, I still don't buy this uh, gifted goals thing. Yeah, it's an easy narrative, it, right? Though, like we understand where it's coming from. It's an easy narrative for a non-St. Louisan to see a team come in the league, and all of a sudden, who in their right mind would expect two back passes to be stolen and <laughs> and turned turned into two goals? two matches in that coupled with um, an own goal, which speaks just to Santi's point that knowing and having watched each match from not just a St. Louis perspective, but an analytical perspective, you're able to see some of the numbers support some of the arguments. So the, the my favorite stat of the week is that St. Louis city after two matches are tied in the league lead in high turnovers forced in that final third with 25 over two games. We're tied with Seattle tells me two things tells me that the press works and and the way that we're moving the ball up the field and keeping that pressure on the defenders is making them uncomfortable. Is it going to last and be sustained the entire season? Are teams going to start to try to figure it out? They're probably going to try to figure it out, maybe make some quicker passes and, and feel like St. Louis could be on them at any moment. But the other thing it says is that it's not just the high press. It's, it's the teamwork in knowing where you're trying to force a defender or force an attacking player at that point. So you get op opportunities like Nelson in the Austin match where he's pushing the pushing Kip Keller towards Jared Stroud. You know, he's not trying to just press for pressing sake. He's he's moving the player into a certain position. Thomas Ostrock did the exact same thing where he was trying to uh, move uh, Melanda towards Klaus and towards that that dangerous spot where he didn't have any opportunities to play a good ball. So all of those things together, the the system itself the players knowing what to do as opposed to just blindly putting pressure on the ball driving the opponent certain places that tells me that if we're not going to continue to get goals out of this we're at least going to continue to force some of these turnovers in that final third and as host i'm going to give some devil's advocacy here before we move which on. he always does <laughs> which is, all, and i love it it's healthy for all of us right but uh and then we're going to move on without any replies because we got to get moving here but um you know does this sort of thing happen at the end of the season is this a early season jitters situation and does it happen from veteran center backs you know, I think Kip Keller's 22, 23. The center back that got picked off today, or uh, sorry, this last Saturday, was a 21-year-old French center back who is getting accolades after accolade after accolade is, is linked to moves to Europe. Um, but he's 21, right? And he's playing in a, in a very athletic, some would say tough environment. And so is that just a young kid early in the season is this going to disappear as the season goes on as our legs get tired is it is going to be a theme throughout the season i think too so that's just the devil's advocacy that uh, we have to think about uh but you know I, i'm still biased guys you know that handball was forced 110 percent is due to uh st louis city doing good work and then the rest at least 50 50 if not 70 30 or better guys i mean come on we got to give our guys some credit here 
And we're going to see more and more of that throughout the season. And we're going to see even a little bit more discussion about that in the game between LAFC and Portland. Um, But before we do that, there's a little bit of news that we can catch up with, a little stuff to inform any average soccer uh, viewers and even some nerdy facts that we're about to get from Matt about some of these average moves that you might see from any given sports team on any given day. Uh, The biggest one that we're going to talk about first is Lucas Bartlett was a trialist in preseason season and has been labeled a trialist up until yesterday when he was announced as a signing uh, to replace Nilsson, who was officially play, uh, placed on the injury list. Matt, you released a, a video today that was really helpful in helping us understand some of the crazy MLS roster uh, rules. Do you want to talk a little bit about that now? Yeah, it's it's not too unlike baseball rules, which a lot of a lot of us are familiar with from the Cardinals, where if a player is placed on the IL in baseball, you're allowed a, a replacement player and they have a 15 day IL, 30 day, those kinds of things. Well, in MLS, the injured list is you have to miss at least six games. We know Rasmus Alm is going to be out. I'm sorry. We know uh, Joachim Nilsson got my Swedish players mixed up. Joachim <laughs> Nilsson is going to be out. <laughs> until uh, at least the summer. So reevaluated late May, likely out until June or July. So that easy six games right there. So what that does is that gives us an extra roster slot to play with. St. Louis City already had two roster slots available. And so we promoted essentially Lucas Bartlett to the squad, signed him to a one-year deal with two option years. So at this point, he could be that injury replacement on uh, Nilsson's roster slot. He could also be occupying another roster slot. It really doesn't matter until... Nielsen comes back because it's going to impact our ability to sign players in the summer transfer window. That's that's really the takeaway from that. Um, and I think that that Bartlett just provides center back depth because at this point we have five healthy center backs on our roster, and we've we've I think on any given game day rostered four of them to the game day roster. Um, John Bell has has been recovering from his sports hernia surgery, and so Bartlett is expected to see unless there's another injury. I would expect to see him a lot with City too but also provide that for sure depth on the team now in case anything else happens to our center backs. And if you don't know, I was talking to my friend. He didn't even realize that was a center back when he saw the announcement. So this is a center back, a central defender. This boy is tall. This is really tall. a very yeah. tall man, yeah. um, and which is in contrast to a lot of our other center backs. You know, some are six foot or so, but this guy's pretty big, and he scored a goal in preseason, so that couldn't have hurt things, right? And a lot of those tall guys are there for scoring goals as well as defending. So, um, and then the last thing is, you know, I think the only worry we get is we're only allowed a certain amount of money, we're only allowed a certain amount of roster slots. Santiago does this, uh, you know, and Matt it, does this affect us being able to pick someone up in the summer and matt i know you had an idea of why that may not be a problem yeah it it shouldn't be a problem but uh i want to let matt talk about it because he <laughs> he released that video but yeah uh, it, it would create a lot it create there is a still a lot of flexibility so matt why don't you talk about it yeah, I, so aside from the two roster slots that we have available, um, with Nilsson out especially, uh, not expecting Bartlett to be on anything more than probably a, a senior minimum contract. He's 25 years old. He was signed uh, with FC Dallas, played a lot in um, Next Pro with North Texas. So he's not, to me as a player on the team, his, he's a role-based player. He's going to provide depth. He's not costing us a lot in his salary. Um, he's not taking up an international slot. He's not taking up any of our U22 slots, young DPs, DPs. That is still all on the table. All of that remains. It's it's a defensive body who knows the system, been in the camp the entirety. 
So it's nothing but an upside signing to me that provides some insurance for our team. And I'm so sorry if I missed it, but he can be loaned back to City too, right? Did you cover that? Yeah, Yeah. so the other rule is that uh, there is one season-long loan that every team has to their affiliates, and we obviously haven't used ours officially yet. So options will exist. A lot of our City players who don't play for City during a match day may find time on a Sunday with our City 2 team. But those aren't official loans. You know, they're not season-long loans. It's like an Azeel Jackson. If he doesn't make the game day roster on Saturday, you're likely to see him for City Two mm. to get minutes in and to get some uh, to get some running out. But a guy like Bartlett, if Nilsson comes back, I could easily see him being loaned for the rest of the season officially to City Two, meaning he won't have an opportunity to come back. He'll be on official loan, keeping those roster slots all neat and tidy. Yeah, and when he when he was on trial during preseason, uh, and I think we talked about it uh, on a previous podcast or maybe uh, on our chat, we thought that yeah, he's in, he's with the team in preseason, but most likely he will sign with CD two. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously, now uh, the team will have to decide when Nilsson is back if that's what they are going to do. But back to uh, the comment Matt made about some players uh, playing with CD two. Coach Carnell talked a little bit about that this week. Uh, he was mm-hmm. saying, yeah, we have a lot of competition going on and um, not everybody's going to be in the in the 20, 20 man roster um, for game day. So the guys that don't play, they're going to see minutes with City 2 on Sunday. So they they continue um, getting um, like match play minutes. Um, so, yeah, we're going to see a lot of that during the season uh, with City 2. And very quickly, Santiago, you just gave us a little news that uh, those games will be on a Sunday, most likely. And uh, I don't know if you can say or not. Do you know where these games are going to be played? I I don't. I don't for sure. Um, but, yeah, I have heard rumors that um, there will be games possibly at the stadium, um, at least from what I heard from the sales standpoint but obviously the schedule is not announced Mm -hmm. Uh, whether it's going to be Sunday every week hasn't been confirmed either Um, but yeah there may be some at the stadium but obviously none of that has been announced and and obviously every market is different but that is precedent was set last year for some of these next pro teams to play in their MLS stadiums the Earthquakes 2 team played at PayPal Park out in San Jose Uh, Sporting 2 played at uh, Children's Mercy Park a couple times Columbus Crew 2 played at Lower.com Field quite a bit Uh, They had some double headers even when they had some games on Saturday So this isn't out of the ordinary It may be out of the ordinary to see every single game But as you're you're listening to this and thinking about what City 2 is How closely you're going to pay attention to That's another opportunity to get in the stadium to see a game Mm-hmm. Yeah, if any of these games end up at the stadium, mm-hmm. um, opportunity for people who didn't have a chance to get tickets um, for CDSC, and um, it's going to be cheaper too. So, mm-hmm. um, so yeah, it's a, it's a win-win for for everybody. And seeing the kids of the future, this is akin to, you know, I mean, not a direct uh, akin thing, but, you know, to see the kids of the future, right? They're the, they're the ones that are going to be playing over there uh, regularly. And so you can say you saw them back then. Uh, when like they we were... did with Miguel Perez and Caden Glover last year. Well said, sir. Well said. Uh, if you're joining us uh, since we've been talking for a little bit here, uh, this is Flyover Footy. We're a St. Louis soccer podcast, and we're broadcasting on the big 550 KTRS. Welcome, and we're bringing everybody 
everybody up to date on what they might have seen in Charlotte. And we're about to kind of talk about some stats, about a little bit of news about the players that we've had. And then we're going to end today previewing the the match in Portland, which is, if you're listening, actually on the radio, is about to happen. So this is very timely. Thank you to KTRS for putting us in this time slot. This is a lot of fun. Matt, we've got a lot of stats. We probably got to cut it a little short. So you want to pick and choose some of the news and stats that you'd like to share um, with everybody before we talk about the Portland game. Oh, yeah. Let's do a let's do a lightning round of what you need to know from some of the players and how they've been stacking up uh, against the league in these first two matches. So some of the the big news for a couple of our players, Klaus, Leuven, and Parker, all are tops of the league in certain categories. Klaus is one of five players so far with goals in both games. Edward Leuven is in the top five in expected goals and expected goals plus expected assists, basically meaning that the shots he takes on the field have a high probability of going in. He's putting himself in good positions. He's making great passes to put the ball in good positions. So he's top five in that. Tim Parker is tied with the league lead in interceptions. Jabulu Balom also won behind the league lead in interceptions. Edward Leuven also tied with the league lead in tackles with seven. So these are very key defensive metrics showing just how much pressure and how much success we're having to disrupt the, the offense on the other side. City is also tied for most goals and has the third highest overall team XG through two matches. So these aren't lucky goals that we're getting to go in by the stats. A couple other things are interesting to note is through two games, we have... Jake Norwinski, Tim Parker, Kyle Hebert, John Nelson, Edward Leuven, and Jabulu Blom have all played 90 minutes against Charlotte. So that is our entire back line. Our midfield has played the full 90. Uh, through two games, that entire back line and Edu Leuven have played all 180-plus minutes. Jabulu Blom came in in that sub against Austin. We're talking a lot of minutes, a lot of familiarity with this back line, and a lot of success going into Portland. Yeah, this is something I asked about today, and hopefully we can post videos, but, you know, managing legs is going to be massive, and looking at how much, I asked John Nelson, I was like, man, you run the entire match, you cover a lot of ground, you and Jake both, like, are you guys going to have to pay attention to, and depth was something he mentioned, in addition to him taking care of his body, so, um, Santiago, any thoughts on any of the news, any of the stats, anything you've seen um, from the first two games that might come in handy to know about for Portland? So, I actually wanted to talk a little bit about Portland. Um, They have uh, some key players that they're going to be missing, Um, so Jimmy Chara has a hamstring injury and he's not going to play against St. Louis. Last year, he um, he he scored, um, I think it was like four or five goals, but he also had a lot of assists. He had oh, yeah. nine assists. Oh, yeah. So uh, he's a big piece for, for the system that Portland has. Also missing um, Sebastian Blanco. Uh, he, he has a knee injury and... Um, He's going to be out for a few games. Also, he had eight assists last year and seven goals. So a couple of big pieces on offense that that will be missing. And uh, also Dyron Asprilla, who was their uh, goal-scoring leader last year. Leading goal-scorer last year. So um, missing a a few pieces. But um, uh, it was interesting today that... Nell referring to Portland said that they um, they like transition transitioning to the way St. Louis does. So uh, it was going it's going to be he called it the battle of transition. Hmm. 
and um, whoever wins that battle is going to be the team that's going to come on top and and win the game or um, get the result. Yeah, but Portland's played kind of vastly different games in their first two matches against Sporting Kansas City and LAFC. They obviously beat Sporting Kansas City one nothing to start the year in a uh, weather delayed game. They had to move that game due to weather. And then they they ended up losing to LAFC, where there was a lot of pomp and circumstance with that LAFC game because it was their uh, cup ring ceremony. They had all that spectacle with Will Ferrell going on. But it was back and forth as far as their possession. Portland comes into this match with a less than 50% average on possession, just like we do. You know, they have an average of 48. We have an average of 40. Um, but, but some of these other stats, Santi, they really align with how we like to force our opponents into. So they have, they're averaging less than 10 shots per game, only five shots on goal per game. They're, they're averaging around 417 total passes, which isn't too far off from us, but that speaks to that transition yeah. work. A lot, of sent, a lot of quick ball movements up the field. They're not going to possess the ball a lot and make back passes and make side passes horizontal. They're going to try to move the ball, not unlike we are. So that, that is, I think, spot on to what the stats support as well. Yeah, and and I think I think we haven't quite um, played up exactly how big a battle this is going to be, how different a team this is going to be than the first two teams we played. Charlotte and Austin both possess the ball a decent amount. That plays to our advantage, in our opinion. When we look at what City 2 was able to do, that's what we want. We want somebody who wants the ball because then we can take it from them, right, in their own half. It's it's something that we've been very good at in, in both this season and last. Uh, but this team is one I, I don't know what to expect as far as how the game will go but what portland wants to do is going to be extremely like where they're going to sit back they're going to look to take the ball and yes they're going to look to transition but they're looking to transition in their half in the back half we're looking to transition into their own half as well so i'm interested to see whether the high press or the low block is going to win the day in this regard. And yes, we're away. Yes, a lot of guys have played 90 minutes, and so I'm interested to see all those things, how they play out, how our subs play out, and how we do against a defensive team, which is probably going to happen more often than a possessing team, in my opinion. So I'm, this is going to be a really fun one to see. It's a total change of tactics here. Not just tactics, but the circumstances surrounding the match, too. The first match was City taking the field for the first time. It was the butterflies, yeah. and, and it was a loud stadium. The second match, obviously, they opened City Park. There have been a lot of big moments these first two games. I don't want to say the newness is wearing off now, but the big moments are more or less over. Like, we're, in, we're starting to get into the thick of things now. This is enemy territory with a very strong, very loud fan base. Timbers Army are one of the most renowned fan bases in all of mls for very good reason they have a lot of a lot of drive a lot of voice and sound that they project and and it's it, it is it really is going to be hostile territory and I'm, I'm interested to see how city adapts to that different mindset of we don't have a moment to play for now we're comfortable in the league now we're almost needing to live up to what these shifting expectations are hmm. because you're <laughs> starting to see rising in the power rankings you're starting to see narratives flip about suddenly we're one of four teams to ever start one of four expansion teams to ever start two and oh if we win this game against portland we're one of two expansion teams to start three and oh with the oh nine sounders so there's there's you know that kind of expectation starting to build but as far as the timbers go to me phil it 
I, I kind of see us as getting the Timbers at the right moment. That This Timbers yeah. team, and to Santi's point, their injury list, they've got four players out with right knee injuries, or four players out with knee injuries, and one with a hamstring and Yimichara. So they're kind of a little down here as far as their firepower goes. The, the two players, to me, that you really need to watch out for are Evander, who is their club record signing, $10 million transfer fee uh, from... Where did he come from? Uh, he came from a Dutch, a Danish side. Michelin, uh, yeah. Michelin, yeah. A Danish side, Michelin. But he's a Brazilian midfielder. They're number 10. He's, he wears number 20 on the field. Watch out for him. He has a goal with four shots through two matches. And the interesting stat about Evander to me is that he's taken on a defender 1v1 14 times over two matches with nine successful dribbles this year, tied for the league lead. Hmm. He's the guy who is going to be really put to a test with Edward Leuven and Julio Blome. Those battles in the midfield, to me, are going to really tell the tale of this tape. Yeah, I mean, Santiago, how important in a, in a low block like we talked about with a defensive side who wants to get you on transition. To me, this is a Jabulo Blom game. Like, this is going to revolve around him having to work very hard and be very, very good and make no mistakes, right? Yeah, yeah. And he, uh, we have already seen what, what he is able to do. Uh, and he's one of those guys that, like, maybe... You don't see him a lot, like uh, like making like great plays, uh, but he's like everywhere, and and he he's uh, like recovering balls, uh, doing things that maybe when when you look at the highlights, you don't see him anywhere. But at mm-hmm. the same time, he's everywhere and and helping a lot in defense. So so yeah, I think he will be key for this game and uh it was good that he played 90 minutes um last week and uh i know there were some concerns first game obviously he didn't start because he wasn't ready for 90 minutes but um obviously he had to go quickly into the game and played um 70 plus minutes so um i think he's he's now ready and it'll be great to see uh, to continue seeing his progression and and seeing what what he can do for the team but so far I think he he is what the the South African fans um, said about him, and uh, obviously his nickname uh, Stopper, the Cleaner, and and we're seeing that yep. he's doing great things uh, with CDSC. He's the guy who, when we're in transition moments and we're needing to defend in transition, is 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 finding himself in the right positions to block those uh, gaps between our center backs and our full backs and our center backs to allow that movement on the left and the right sides of the field. So we talked earlier about the Nerwinski Parker kind of almost miscommunication for the Capetti goal. Well, Blom is the guy who is blocking those and plugging those gaps. And, and it, we're going to need it because like Phil said, transition is how Portland and Evander in particular are going to be playing us. So you're going to see a lot of Blom. I wouldn't be surprised too, if you saw Leuven play a little bit further back and try to help out on that regard as well. We've, we've seen him, play that six, eight, and 10, meaning the back defensive <laughs> mid all the way up to the attacking. But at times, I think it was, I think it was you, Santi, who told me that, that he, he was kind of uh, not talked to, but he had a discussion with Carnell about moving too far up the field and making sure to, to you, know, you know, not get too excited to, uh, to attack minded and, and keeping in your position. So he's, he's kind of worked through that as well. And I think I, I wouldn't be surprised if the formation we ran out kind of allows him 
um, to play make from the middle of the field with, you know, another four, possibly three attacking midfielders and four attackers. Yeah, and, and I asked um, Carnell today about like <laughs> I kind of flubbed the question because I, I kind of quoted <laughs> yeah. something incorrectly, and, and Carnell did not like it. So that's my first. But, but you, you came back. You came back, and I think, <laughs> I think it was okay. But I was yeah, very ahead, embarrassed. <laughs> but um, I did get it wrong. I'm pretty sure. But anyway, it doesn't matter. I was just mostly asking like home and away. Does that make a difference? Um, and um, I did notice. I did. I forgot to ask Carnell about this. But after the first goal. He uh, Carnell asked John Nelson to come over and then he sent him to give a message to Leuven. And so this is something like I've been watching that you, you really nailed it. Like we all thought that before Blome came that Leuven was going to be our six, just going to yep. be the six, the defensive minded guy. And we've just seen him taking the 10 jersey and then we've seen him play two games. And I'm sorry, that's just not what he is. Right. It, it, he nope. is. He can be. But that's not what he is. He's more than that. And so I'm really interested to see we're away to a really tough team. Is Leuven going to have more responsibilities in defense? Or is, you know, our fullbacks going to sit back more? There's a lot to look for here. And uh, there's a lot we can ask Carnell about after this game's over. Um, but I do want to remind everybody, we'll take a, a little second here to remind you that this is Flyover Footy. We're a St. Louis soccer podcast, and we are broadcasting on the big 550 KTRS. Thank you so much for joining us. We got a little bit more on Portland here, maybe another five minutes on Portland and what you might see with St. Louis City playing them in Portland. And the last thing I want to kind of transition to is I watched this LAFC game. The SKC game wasn't too informative in my opinion, but the LAFC game showed us that LAFC was able to score on a high press transition, which very much made me very happy to see. Uh, they were able to score on a, um, a set piece from the corner, which we've seen Leuven's talent on set pieces. Um, I'm forgetting what the third goal was like. I think it was a bit of a scramble in the box, but either way, it, it, what I saw was from PK, Portland... I think. Oh, it was a PK. You're right. And and we've seen that from St. Louis as well. But it all looked like stuff that St. Louis is capable of. Um, However, I am comparing them to LAFC who won won the league last year. So are they or are they not? Let's just kind of talk about what we've seen from them versus what uh, Portland has done versus LAFC. Yeah, I I don't – go, go, Santi. Yeah, I know. So very quick. uh, so that penalty uh, was after a set piece. So yeah, one goal from a set piece, and then that penalty came after a set piece. Uh, so I think that's something. Um, I think St. Louis is gonna. They probably look at it and and is gonna find some weaknesses uh, in those set pieces. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see a, a goal uh, or some very good chances out of um, set pieces. Yeah, and the anecdote there is a lot of people were wondering, this is going to be our first turf field we've gone to. Mm. How's the team kind of manage that? And it looks like throughout this week, we've been practicing on grass, but we did notice that Leuven and Vasilev, our two set-piece takers, did find themselves time to go over to the turf practice field just to get a sense for how the ball is going to land, how, how they need to get under it at a different angle, because they're they're working on that. So when you talk about how's the turf going to be, in addition to how the timbers are going to be, our team, I think, is properly preparing for that, knowing that the Timbers could be vulnerable to some set pieces. We have some really high-quality set-piece takers, as we've seen, whether it's Leuven or whether it's Vasilev. Vasilev scored goals on set pieces in preseason. Leuven obviously has the the first goal from a corner that we had this year. You know, And knowing that we have that turf field at our disposal to, to allow them this pr- to practice on, 
Um, it gives you a lot of confidence that they're preparing for the right scenarios going into this match. It is. And, um, you know, Matt, you touched on it a little bit. Anything, let's open up to anything you guys want to talk about. But, you know, one thing that comes to mind is that Portland, you know, yes, we are coming off this hype of, of winning at home, winning away in our very first game. Um, but Portland is kind of known as the central supporters club, right? Like the chainsaw and the, and the cutting of the, of the tree. And, you know, they just expanded. They're going to have 30, I think they have a 30,000 person capacity or close to it. Yeah. Providence Park was added to with that additional tier a couple years mm -hmm. ago. Yeah. So, I mean, the game day environment there is very good. So, yes, we can be so proud, but they're about, our guys are about to go into a very similar environment over there. And so, you know, it's it's an environment that we as St. Louisans could admire as far as, yes, they're doing it right over there. But, um, you know, it's not exactly what we want to see our guys go into on the third game of the season in the very first season. Yeah, w one thing that I do want to say before I want to get some starting lineup guesses here, uh, speculation. But one thing I do want to say is the Timbers have a reputation in MLS, and it's a good reputation of yeah. success. And so one thing that I've noticed is over the past couple of years, last year and so far into this year, this isn't that Portland Timbers team necessarily. There's not a whole lot that they did right last year. They only had 11 wins in 34 matches. It was the first time they've missed the playoffs since 2016, First time ever for their head coach, uh, Giovanni Savarisi. And they this team that they have this year is largely the same from last year. They had two departures, and the only notable addition to last year's team was Evander. So when we have that going, I think that personally, I want to see a 4-2-3-1 attack this. I think Joe Keeney will probably come off the bench. But I want to see, I would love to see Vasilev in that attacking midfield position. I would love to see Ostrock and Alm. I think I think Jared Stroud gets the gets the the bench on this one mm. to come off as a sub in the second half. But other than that, I maybe I, I want to see Pedro at some point. But I think we're riding a good thing with this back line in our midfield. What do you think? Yeah, I agree. Uh, Basilev is going to crack the the starting lineup, hmm. but I have uh, Alm on the bench instead of a Stroud. So Ostrock on the right, Stroud on the left. Mm -hmm. Okay. Very interesting. How long? How long does the mask stay on? Because his mask that covered his broken nose only lasted about five minutes against Charlotte. True. Yeah. I don't yeah. think it makes it to the field this time. I yeah. think he's done. <laughs> um, I actually, I would go, we're all going to have a different opinion here, which I really love. I think Stroud plays because he's played in Portland before and he's like a chippy fella, you know, and that's something you want when you're away. And I think I like Alm it. will play because I do think he's a very athletic, he's just an away type player. So I think Alm will start even though, um, you know, I don't know. Do we leave Ostrak so off? With that, That's you're going tough. with that lineup to start with against Austin uh, with Blom instead of instead of Vasilev and having Stroud, Ostrak, and Alm with Klaus up front? I think so. I think I would. Just only because it's an away game. But I don't know if I'm overplaying the away thing. That's kind of what I wanted from Carnell, like, like we talked about. I kind of messed up the question, so I didn't get it answered. <laughs> but um, the only thing I do want to say is I think I'd like to see – um, a fullback subbed out. And if that means like we're behind and we need to catch up, I want to see Pedro. If that means yeah. we're ahead, let's let's rest Jake and, and get Watts in there or whoever else that we want to put in at right back. Um, to, to get him. you know, to, to defend out a game with with um, getting some some rested legs. I like it. 
Those are my final thoughts. I think we need to get going, guys. So this is Matt Baker, Santiago Beltran. I'm Phil Grooms. Thank you so much for listening. Again, we're Flyover Footy. We're a St. Louis soccer podcast. You're listening to us on the big 550 KTRS. Enjoy the game, everybody. In two hours and 30 minutes, St. Louis kicks off against Portland in Portland. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. All right, welcome back, everybody. This is the post-show show. Post, uh, yeah, I'm just going to call it the post-show show. Do we have a better name? We need something that starts with an F, that flyover alliteration thing. <laughs> we, we were calling it the wine down earlier just because yeah. we don't have any wine. Like the wine, I need wine for that. But it's more of like with this new format, we're kind of trying to pack as much as we can into that first 45 because that's kind of the, the meat of the show, so to speak. And so I think the way we're going to start doing this more is any other topics that aren't pertinent to – city directly or the game day especially because it's the you know on the radio it's airing right before the match may get moved to the second half but also if there's anything deeper we want to go into on topics that we kind of touched on earlier i think we did a pretty good job on this one but yeah also um we have some questions that were asked i think we can get to some of them we touched on uh but i, I think we can we can do that as well so if there's anything phil you wanted to talk about on deeper into charlotte if you want to have another 15 minute conversation about our uh, back passes um there or, is something i want to talk about with charlotte but i let's do the listener questions we really did fit everything i really wanted to talk about for the first time ever i couldn't believe we got so much into that show so we did okay. don't don't act like it's not stressful uh for the second one trying to i'm not gonna let you put on a brave face because i am i don't have a brave no face. i was being terrible before this game i was like so many jitters i didn't have a chance to study like i wanted to i was so scared but once we get going it's always so natural because of you guys you know i'm able to anytime i don't have anything to say all i got to do is say a name and you guys you guys take off but uh the uh yeah. i don't remember i got him if you want him yeah go yeah i got it. him if you want him uh, so let's see. Uh, Jacob Ellis asks a lot of chatter in MLS forums of St. Louis being gifted goals. Is it a direct result of the high press luck, bad execution by our opponents? Maybe a bit of both. Anything else you want to, we did cover that one. We made sure to talk about that one on the KTRS part, but I think I personally, I don't think it's, it's luck. I think it, it is bad execution though, uh, by our opponents. There's no doubt about that. They either aren't, you, you could see Kippy in that first match, not pay attention to where he was passing the ball, he was looking around. He was looking at the keeper, the other center backs. Uh, you saw uh, Milando kind of not even pay attention to where Klaus was. He was solely focused on the keeper. I don't even think he saw out of the corner of his eye, Klaus. Hmm. So definitely bad execution, but you can't discount how well St. Louis has been in forcing that kind of pressure. You know, if it wasn't for Nelson in the first game and Ostrock in the second game, there would never even be a reason to go back and even look for that back pass. You know what just occurred to me, like just now, I can't believe no one has said this yet. You know, the West has never had to play an all-out high-press team. The West. I mean, not regularly. So, like, they may cross and play Red Bull or Philadelphia every once in a while. And there are some, you know, like L.A. and Vancouver, I think, are two of the higher-pressing teams, you you know. Stole stole the words out of my mouth. That is exactly (laughs) what I was going to say. But we're pretty extreme. I mean, the chaos is our comfort zone, you know. So, you know, like, I don't know if – I think – I think the, that we're also a novelty in the Western Conference is actually helping us too. But, you know, just to say, again, I know I did the devil's advocate last time, but, like, I'm going to do it again. Like, do we see this much after week eight or ten? And do, 
you know, I don't know. That's the main thing. Do we see it well, much after guys figure out how to how to be soccer players again? <laughs> so here here's the thing, though. If we don't see that kind of a back pass, what do the, what do the opponents do? So in either of those situations, whether it was Milano or Keller, what would they have done differently? What should they have done differently? Because they were being pressed back into essentially their corner of the defense. Do they clear the ball like out of play on the yeah. side? Do they do they try to you know switch? Do they try to switch to the other side? You know what is the what is the right play given the scenario of you have uh, one of our forwards and one of our wingers so deep by the keeper that we're essentially blocking off the keeper and you have pressure being put on by another midfielder to push the ball back. So you're you're definitely right. I can't see this persisting, but I also don't think bad things are going to happen as a result. You, you can eat, you can only get better from that. Whether you force a switch, mm-hmm. you're playing transition defense potentially at that point. So that could be something to watch out for if they try to switch the ball. If they just play the ball out, then it's a turnover, and we forced a turnover, which is just another good thing. Yeah, and I do think we're going to keep forcing it. Um, but you know, I think they'll have to be turned on. They'll have to be less casual. I think it's oh, going to yeah. be the main fix, you know, just like not being casual because both of them were a way too over casual. Um, but you know, that, that happens in Europe, that happens in every league of the world. So it does, I'm not saying it is going to go away, but I do think it's going to be harder to come by either way. But you know, if this is happening toward the end of the season, if this happens in the playoffs, I mean, come on, like, we're going to be so happy. I love it. That would that would be truly amazing. And but it is possible because I do believe that it is our system causing these troubles, not pure dumb luck. It's just not. I'm sorry. Totally agree with you there. Uh, uh, another question from Joe is might be a question for later, but what is the home stadium situation for City Two now going forward? What's the policy? Here's the interesting one around City players playing for City Two and vice versa. So ahead. we talked about the stadium. We mm-hmm. talked about the stadium a little bit. So we're we're speculating, and Santi had. Uh, anonymous sources with the sales team. I really like that one that said that city park is uh, clearly on the field and that's backed by precedent from last year with other teams. But the policy for city players playing for city two is as loosey goosey as it comes. Mm -hmm. So we touched on it that if you don't see a player make the game day lineup, the game day 20, but is rostered for city, you're probably going to see him for city two. It's almost like an unlimited uh, short-term loan scenario where any player roster for City Two can, or City can play for City Two in that next game. You're only likely, practically, going to see it if there's a need. If they don't see minutes for City, they're going to play for City Two. Uh, vice versa, though, is where you get tricky. So MLS has their roster rules, and and I'm talking about MLS, the first team. They have their Ooh. roster rules. They have the requirements. They have their their roster slots. City Two doesn't. City Two has a very much more open way to sign players. There's not a salary cap, uh, probably don't need one at that level, but there's a lot of other very loose guidelines for how to sign players. Now, when you go from a player signed directly to City 2, and I'm going to use um, I'm going to use Juan Cousin as the example, because Cousin is signed to City 2. He was announced very early on, still has a City 2 contract. Hmm. Because he signed to City 2, he would have to be signed officially to City and fill a roster slot on the city roster if he were to move up. Um, same thing with Ezra Armstrong, Dita Armstrong, all those guys signed directly to City 2 contracts. Now, that's that's where you're probably not going to see anything unless something's officially announced. If, if Ezra Armstrong is signed to a city contract later this year, he'll, he, he could bounce back and forth. But otherwise, anybody that is signed specifically to a City 2 contract, not going to play for City. Yeah. 
Yeah, those those roster spots, and that's kind of what we were touching on earlier. Those roster spots are. Um, they're they're precious that's the word i was looking for yeah so you don't just give them away and to be honest like i i would say this is the part of the bartlett signing that was a little bit confusing matt you said it in your video i was glad you mentioned it because this is our fifth center back i don't remember what i said okay <laughs> on the roster and if yeah. you include nilson who was put on injury reserve basically um six that's six yeah i mean six center backs on one team's roster that's a lot and especially you know, when we've talked about our lack of depth at some other positions, yes. especially the midfield position. Exactly. My thoughts. Yes, exactly that. And and it, I just wonder what that means. Does that mean we're not incredibly confident in any of our center backs? Does it mean um, we need a lot of center back depth because defensive play is extremely important to a team in their first year, which is something that I, I kind of yeah sit on. I don't think – I'm not sure it's either, to be honest. I don't know but what the, they're thinking. The weird thing, though, and it's only a very small sample size, only two games. So this is where – this is something to pay attention to in the next few games. We talked uh, on the KTRS part about the number of players playing full 90, how it's our back line, it's Leuven, it's our defenders. So mm -hmm. the place where we have significant depth at center back – we're not leveraging any of that depth. <laughs> yeah. it's, it's been Hebert and Parker at center back. Yarrow has come in um, in moments where we needed to kind of park the bus. But if we're going to continue to give our starters those significant minutes, then that that two or three layers of depth isn't going to be needed. But you look at the vice versa. So you look at our attacking players, significant rotation every single match so mm -hmm. far, every single being two, yes. But you're talking about the players who are sprinting for the 60, 70, 80 minutes that they're playing. Every single one of our attackers have been subbed off at some point in these first two games. So we don't have as significant depth there. So match day rotation as far as who makes the 20-man roster could be interesting. I'm looking at guys like Isaac Jensen who hasn't played yet because he's been injured. He hasn't he hasn't seen time. I'm looking at Azeel Jackson who can play that attacking mid. He hasn't seen time yet. Um you know, Sam Adeneron finally got in against Charlotte. That was cool. So some of the players, there's two deep in certain positions. Forward position has three deep, but it's not it's not like six total players for two positions. So I'm just interested to see how that goes as far as are we heavily backloaded on a back line where we don't necessarily need that for the MLS season. Maybe those guys only see open cup time. Hmm. But our attackers, our attackers as far as their stamina going forward with the, I don't want to say limited depth, but it there does seem to be a difference in the level of depth between our back line and some of our attacking positions. Yeah, it's interesting to think about League's Cup, which was announced today. We'll get to that in a little bit. Um, mm -hmm. And you new know, Open Cup, we need guys yeah. to, to fill in those roles, and I'm sure that we're going to do full swaps in those situations as far as oh, the yeah. center backs um, and probably goalkeeper too. Um, yep. But... You know, I just, you know, I just wonder if we'll get surprised one of these days. Maybe there we'll have five five man back lines or three center backs. You know, that'd be cool to see. Um, and also, like, do we game plan for having a tall guy at the center back position if we think we can steal one on, on a set piece? That'd be like, are we going to play Bartlett merely because yeah. he could score a goal on a set piece this week? I mean, those those teams we play where we know it's going to be chippy and we know that they're going to try to push us like an LAFC or Vancouver where they're going to try to to run uh, the pace of play and we could end up 
giving up corners. We could end up giving up fouls in dangerous positions, and we need that. That could be a tactical, a conscious tactical decision that gets made. Yeah, absolutely. and this this team in with City two at least did run a three center back uh, lineup mm-hmm. a few times. So there is that we we saw the four two three one in Austin. We saw the four four two or four two 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 against Charlotte. We can run a three man back line as well using our fullbacks as true wingers in that midfield. And to be honest, like if Blome gets hurt or if he needs to rest or if he can't play, um, I'd be interested to see if that's when we use three center backs because that would kind yeah. of make sense to kind of have an extra man back in the in the counterattack. Uh, but it leaves you open in other ways. So, you know, it's give and take, of course, in every in every scenario. And you never know how things are going to change depth and substitution-wise when Max Schneider finally... Uh, <laughs> if, if, I should say if, though, because, you know... Miggy Perez, good lord, he's been showing up and showing out. So Schneider could find a lot of time with City too in the scenarios that we just got done talking about. Um, so you're looking at like a Vasilev or a or Perez in those those roles there. Um, I don't know. There, there's one other question that we had, and it kind of gets to this exact conversation along with uh, one thing we touched on. Um, another another Joe, the same Joe. Yeah, same Joe. Uh, any anticipated changes to prep, formation, lineup with artificial turf surface in Portland? So I think we talked about hmm. the lineup quite a bit, but do you think any of our formation or um, lineup choices will be predicated on that artificial turf surface? No, in fact, I think the way we play actually in some ways may be better on turf. It translates better rather from grass to turf, in my opinion, um, because it does it isn't predicated on on pretty passes every single you know like passing isn't the thing we're trying to focus on every week our passing accuracy our possession you know what i mean these are these are stats we almost throw in the trash every week so uh, i think it translates well for us and i don't think it'll be a big change and uh, it was interesting you know the only relatable thing that happened in the press conference today was someone asked stroud like are you worried about this are there going to be any changes and stroud was like you know we're all American. Any American at this age is played on, you know, turf as much or more than grass. So it's like no yep. big deal. So that was kind of cool to hear him say. Yeah. And, and the the way we play, I think it does lend itself to turf. You spot on that. Uh, we don't make little quick chippy passes, just trying to wear the defense out. We make long passes if it's on the ground. And so if we're not sending the ball in the air, looking for a man, we're, we're stretching the field with our passes. And I don't see a whole lot of difference in those regards with turf. But I do really enjoy the fact that, and we talked about it earlier, Leuven and Vasilev are spending time working on their set pieces and their corners from turf that we have. So that that will set us up well and help in the transition um, to knowing that surface where we haven't had that so far this year. Yeah, Vasilev, lefty, Leuven, right. So the yep. two main guys. It's, I'm curious if Pedro gets in on that because I think clearly he's probably got a good leg for it. I was speculating. I wanted to put him in my starting 11 that we were talking earlier, but I just, I don't know. I talked myself out of it reading the stats of Nelson mm-hmm. has just played the full 90 with these other four. And so, I don't know. We're on a winning streak. How much do you really want to mess with that for that core group of players? I'm talking our back six. Yeah. Uh, Leuven involved too, because they're just being so successful in their 1v1s. They're so successful in cutting off the attack. And. I just don't want to mess with that. I don't want to see that mess with too much going into Portland. Now, if if we lose against Portland and somebody's exposed or, God forbid, an injury occurs, sure, yeah, we'll have yeah. a very different conversation next week. Yeah, I mean, 
you can't go too long before eventually the coach's hand is forced in some form or fashion, right? So far, it's pretty awesome that nothing crazy has happened. You know, that's really nice, and, and that's a good thing. Uh, but at some point, we're going to, you know, it's time will show, you know, yeah. whether someone needs a sub or not, you know. It's and the worst easy. that's happened so far, if I recall, is Indy Vasilev broke his nose. Right. And <laughs> it's easy. Klaus's body cramped up all over after his Austin <laughs> goal. Um, Joe Keeney, I think the injury he picked up to his back was after the match, I want to mm-hmm. say. I don't think he actually picked up the knock during Charlotte. But, yeah, crossing these fingers on that this injury bug can uh, can stay away for just a little bit longer. Um, I, I do think and maybe it's the Joe Keeney injury that has been talked about missing a couple days of practice. I, I definitely don't see him starting against Portland mm. uh, for, for that. And just, I think it's going to be a midfield battle more than anything. And I like, I like the presence of Indy Vasilev in that central midfield, which could offer Leuven some opportunity to play more of that eight position and help blow him on the defense against Evander. I really like Vasilev as a sub, and that's not something that's going to happen every time. And I actually, I can't wait to see him as a full 90 starter at some point uh, because yeah. I might change my mind. But boy, as a sub, you could tell those fresh legs and the, you know, the change in the press and, and the change in the passing. You know, it was really cool to see um, that sometimes offense is the best defense. Um, and not that he's a bad defender. I thought he did great. But, you know, he does add more to the attack when he comes in for sure. I, I uh, caught myself looking back at the expansion draft the other day and thinking just how well that worked for us. Dude, I think that all the time, too. Remember how we had talked about, you know, this is this is hit or miss. It's very spotty. Some teams, players, just three or four might not play. You might just trade most of them for GAM. And here we're sitting with Nico Giochini having started a match and, and been incredibly crucial to a lot of our goals and our pressing Indy Vasilev, same thing started a match already. And he's been, he was that super sub here against Charlotte. Hmm. And then John Nelson, goodness of two 180 minutes in two matches, John Bell recovering from an injury. And then Tim Parker, I, I count him as an expansion draft because he <laughs> is we, yeah. Jake LaCava. See you later. Tim Parker. Welcome on. Yeah. That's a hell of a haul for what we've been able to do these first two matches. It is. And, and I, I was tempering expectations hard because everyone who picks expansion draft players, they don't really use them. Not really. No. Um, no. And, you know, we've gotten, didn't we get, it doesn't matter. You know, it, we don't, people don't use them. We've used them to very good effect. And I've loved to yeah. see that. Um, and they've been a, a mainstay of our, of our rosters. So that's really cool. We found value in like a weird MLS thing. We did. So before we get into Open Cup, Leagues Cup, anything you want to talk about uh, for the Charlotte match that we haven't touched on? Um, your experiences. Yeah. I know sure. you hung out with Manuel Veth for a little bit. Oh, that's true. Oh, my gosh. There's actually a lot to talk about. Uh, let's talk about quickly the tactics because it is a quick one. It's not that big. But you look at uh, the possession and the ebb and flow of the game. Uh, those I love those charts that show who possessed the ball in what minutes and, and who's yes. half and stuff. That's really helpful um, because when I rewatched, it, it really sh- it showed exactly – who you felt was in control of the, of the match the most for the most part. And I think yep. you got to hand it to, we caught Charlotte at a good time. I think a lot of people said that on, on the uh, broadcast too. And they're right. Yeah. I mean, they have, they're not clicking yet, but they do have really good pieces. 
And I think the coach is still figuring out where to put those pieces. They've got, kind of got too many in certain in certain places. And I think we benefited a little bit from them making the wrong choices. I think there were a couple of guys in the wrong spots. It sounds like you feel the same way. Right? Yeah, I definitely feel the same way. They're, you know, on paper, you see there are three designated players that Charlotte had. But in practice, it just they don't play well together. It doesn't seem like Joswiak. It doesn't seem like Swiderski really like playing out on the wings. Swiderski is very much a, a number 10, that second striker underneath. And, and they just don't seem like they're comfortable being playing where they're being asked to play. Mm-hmm. And I don't think either were incredibly dangerous. Swiderski did have that cross from the right side. But, you know, that that's he didn't do anything with the ball when he was given the opportunity. So I... I I definitely see this club similar to last year where they have the ability, if they put it all together, put some players in positions that they enjoy playing and that they're successful in, to do what they did last year, start off very weak, and then eventually pick it up and put it together to make a playoff push. But totally agree that it's probably the right time to to hit them, hoping like it's the right time we hit Portland. Yeah, and I don't think necessarily that we couldn't beat them when they're at their best, but... um... Because I think we were very effective on what we did. You know, I think the XG yeah. shows that even with the giveaways. Like, I think we really oh, yeah. did look like a good team and, and the better team on the night. But, you know, if you look at, you know, I thought they, like we talked about how perfect that goal was from Capetti. Um, any team's going to gonna beat you in that way, in, in that regard, if you set it up for them in that, in that yeah. way. So, like, that's fine. Uh, that's going to happen throughout the season. And we responded. Um, but we didn't respond until after Charlotte had this, like, 20-minute phase where I thought it was kind of their best, mo- like, 20 minutes of the game where they looked like what you think Charlotte wants to look like. They possessed the ball. They unlocked us in a lot of different ways, and they just weren't able to kind of finish it off the way that they they wanted to or should have uh, even. But, um, you know, that was one thing I wanted to bring up was like those 20 minutes, they looked very good. And there were moments where we looked a little suspect in in defense. And I think Parker like takes chances. That dude took so many chances. Like he would take three steps further forward than I thought he should, and he would get a block with his head. Yeah, the header to me, it was noticeable because it happened multiple times. Yeah. But it, it kind of spoke to that transition defense that all of our all of our back line was trying to uh, absorb, and and they absorbed they absorbed it well most of the time. But when you have to have your center back kind of head the ball out, that doesn't really seem. It definitely seems like you're playing higher up than you you otherwise would be because otherwise the ball would be at your feet. Um, I I kind of look to that as just indicative of that transition defense and hope that it gets a little more short up because it doesn't inspire confidence to have your center back have to head the ball out of the box uh, to, to ward off an attack. Well, and, and I think and like what happens when it gets by him? Does that mean Berkey gets it or does that mean it, it hits a guy? Does it mean it goes in the well, goal? Like that scares me a little bit, but maybe it would be fine. I don't know. It seems like Berkey's going to be like right behind him on his heels based on mm-hmm. how he likes to play. Yeah. So he's going to be, you know, Parker, assuming assuming he's even in the box, you know, Berkey's going to be off his line. I think that's mm-hmm. fair to say and not necessarily a bad thing. It's just how he plays yeah. and where we, we can expect him to be. Um, he And that's a good. So I like that transition to Berkey real quick because. We, I need to give Berkey credit. Um, he got some hate after Austin for the goal that was like, is this Berkey's fault? Is it just a, an MVP play by Driussi for being off his line, right? And having that chip over him. That's kind of his introduction to MLS for a lot of mm-hmm. fans after seeing the big contract and all that stuff. I thought Berkey's distribution and his ball skills, remember that step over pass that he had or the, the way <laughs> yeah. 
kept possession. He stepped over the Charlotte defender or attacker. That was that was mm-hmm. fun to see live there in the crowd. Let me tell you, he got a standing ovation. Uh, well, all the ovations were standing, but yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but but his distribution he, with his leg and with his hand. There was one pass in particular. I think it was to Nelson out on the left side, where he took it and he just like slung the ball. And it landed perfectly for Nelson to be able to gather and move up the field. So that to me is, and Berkey is one of the leaders in passing for our team as far as volume. You know, he, he's over, I think he might have more passes than Tim Parker. And it really speaks to his involvement and what he can do when he's off of his line. He's not just pressing for the sake of pressing, but he's looking to be in those positions where he can attack the attackers and he can gather up the ball and play the ball. He's not. We're not a play the ball out of the back where we're going to horizontal pass it along our back line and try to figure something out. Berkey's going to distribute just as much as Tim Parker is. Mm. Yeah, I think he's a little bit better even. <laughs> um, and, and I love the tweet that was like, you know, AJ McCarron's got a little bit of uh, yes. competition and they, they showed that pass, that like 40, 60 yard pass that he that, that he did out of the back. That was cool. Um, let's move on though. Let's talk about the game day because I did get to hang out with, um, oh my gosh, it was a dream of an end of a night. Uh, I got to hang out with uh, Manuel Vaith and he had a buddy, um, Andy, that writes for Yahoo Sports that was like a uh, South American, this Colombian dude that uh, lives in LA and travels around oh, the I've country. Oh, I've seen him post on Twitter. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and he was so, so nice. He was very kind to drunk me going on about my club. Uh, but then nice. Santiago and a bunch of the Santos people showed up and uh, Joe from STL Punks, I believe, was there. So, man, it was just such a cool way to cap out the night. And, and the main takeaway that I got from um, from Manuel was first of all making fun of Felipe Cardenas for saying that we would only get four wins this year. We're halfway there, bud. We're halfway there, Felipe. Um, so you made fun I of get him there a few times, April. <laughs> which we got to call him out for that. Um, but no, the other thing he said was um, that his f- like favorite club. He goes on and on about uh, Frankfurt and their stadium, and it's not like all the all the Bundesliga stadiums are kind of similarly sized. So he's like, it's not the numbers that, that make it loud. Um, yes, it's probably louder than our stadium, but he's like the energy of the people that are there is in Frankfurt. It's like, he said, it's like, I've never heard before. And he said, St. Louis is the first time I've heard that outside of Frankfurt. That's what he said. And we were all caught up in the magic of the night. Maybe he wouldn't feel that way on, on another day. But my goodness, like he said, he and Andy both said, like, volume aside, yes, it's 22,000 people versus 50 or 60 in Germany. But the energy of the night was like unstoppable. And they said it was something they'd, they'd never experienced before. And it's really cool to hear and see the pundits, like even just on TV, everyone's saying how amazing Man. it was. And I did not expect that. I, You know, yes, I knew St. Louis would deliver and it was better than I thought it would be. But I didn't think it would translate the way that it did. And it really did. I, I definitely did not see the national recognition coming. I mean, I mean, I knew the as big of a deal as we touted it up to be, and really felt it. The pride that we had going into it, and just the excitement that was entirely fulfilled on yeah. the day. I, I don't think you can look to any piece of that day and say, um, unless you were overly critical, that this is this wasn't all it could be from from the pre-match to the march to the match itself. Uh, afterwards and just seeing everybody 
celebrate the moment that we think St. Louis has always deserved and being able to celebrate it in the most um, appropriate way. But the articles afterwards, were it, it was almost too much. Um, it was almost too much to believe was real. From, from The Athletic to uh, Yahoo to Manuel's own article mm-hmm. on Transfermarkt to ESPN, MLSsoccer.com had a few articles. Like It was just yeah. the – that was almost as good of a feeling – um, as it was in the stadium because it like St. Louis, we take our, we take our knocks. Um, we take our knocks from ourselves. We take our knocks nationally. And to see that level of appreciation and recognition for what we were able to produce the club, the fans, the city, the entire moment was surreal in and of itself. But, but it, it really, I don't know. It it allowed you to kind of, Take a step back and think this isn't just Homerism speaking. These are Mm -hmm. folks who don't have any skin in the game and they're appreciating it. So you're validated for everything that you remember it being. And so when you look back on on this from, you know, months from now, years from now, that's going to be part of the story is that it it was great for who was there. It was great for what it meant to St. Louis, but it was appreciated appropriately for what it was as well. And, and I think the weirdest part is we don't talk about this enough at all, but like flyover footy became, it is, it's a tongue in cheek n- name because how often does St. Louis feel overlooked? How yep. like, that's part of the reason, like we're so beaten down as St. Louisans in soccer that we just didn't think we'd get our due. Like we just never thought that day would come. I didn't. And that's how I've always felt. And that's why flyover footy is, is what it is because it's just like, who cares? We'll talk about L.A. We'll talk about Philly and the New Yorks. And and uh, who cares about about St. Louis in the middle? You know, Josh Sargent has to do ungodly things to get us some kind of, you know, attention. And yep. and that's even saying that, like, St. Louis FC and Scott Gallagher were still, like, producing players and, and doing something special. Um, you and I just did that emotional game uh, podcast. And um, it was for, you know, Ben, the soccer goose, um, his new podcast. We got to shout it out because he's doing such a great oh, yeah. job um, until our podcasts come out right <laughs> <laughs> but no, we'll I like, if that lasts. we talked about St. Louis FC and, and like how awesome and how, you know, massive that was in, in our soccer journey and our soccer story. And, um, you know, it's just so strange. All that to say, it's so strange to get the accolades that we're getting right now. And it just feels so good. Can I say that it just feels good? We tend to get in the weeds on a lot of things, including the uh, political machinations of U.S. soccer and what it means from a team that uh, fans that support a lower league team uh, to eventually get MLS coming to town and experience what we've been able to experience in this whole journey, and that that's the impetus behind um, the emotional game. And so, definite shout outs to him, and definite thank yous almost from my perspective too, because it allowed me a moment to kind of stop and and just reflect, not not reflect on the MLS journey. Because I've, I've done a lot of reflecting on that and speaking to that. It's, it's more reflecting on my soccer journey and, and what it meant in those weeds, in those moments from the first St. Louis FC match I went to in 2015. Because I wasn't, I wasn't in on the ground floor before the team was here. I was towards the beginning of that season after the 2015 U.S. Women's National Team run. I wanted local soccer. Mm. And so that was my answer. Thankfully, it was existing at that moment. <laughs> so my wife and I started season ticket holders from there on. And every single game that that meant, the little close-knit family onto 
just how it was magnified times a million to what we experienced this past weekend. All of the steps that led from from then till now is something that soccer fans in America don't get to experience. And whether you want to, whether you, however you want to slant it, positive or negative on how the journey was, it was a journey. Hmm. And to be able to have that as part of the story, part of our narratives on what this means to us is really special. It is. Uh, and, and now we get to just kind of live in it and enjoy it. Uh, St. Louis, if you want these more and more of these articles that we've been getting, uh, just keep clicking and consuming media. These guys aren't dumb. They, they notice no. that St. Louis is uh, taking a step forward in, in engagement online. And, uh, you know, we're delivering for them and they'll keep delivering for us if you guys want to keep Tom Bogert did an article this week for MLSsoccer.com about Eddie Leuven. And I firmly believe he wouldn't have done that article if the support for city online with the clicks with the views and everything wasn't top of the league like yeah it's a good story it's a great story but at the end of the day it's a designated player performing for his club it's good to see in some ways it's expected but he's highlighting what we all want him to highlight because we're so passionate about it and proving that passion here in st louis and as good as lutz's quotes have been throughout the whole time he's been here Fuck yes, I knew he was gonna be that good. Like that is the best one yet. I didn't get it right, but you get the gist, right? Like, oh yes, <laughs> of course I knew. I love not, that so much. Not a hint of designated team in that article. It was all Edu Lubin. <laughs> Fuck that. Fuck yes. <laughs> I loved it so much. Um, I've probably talked over some of the things you wanted to get in, Matt. I've, I've, I'm good, man. Is anything else you want to say? Yeah. Um, I think we talked about some of our experience. My experience. Um. I don't know where I've talked about it, but I feel I've talked about it. It's been just surreal. Um, yeah, I, I didn't mention, I think it was on, oh, it was on 550 with Brendan I, on Tuesday. I mentioned that um, my wife had COVID and so she mm-hmm. couldn't go to the game. So that was the only, we got to go to Austin. So that was the silver lining to all of that. Um, but other than, other than that, it was everything that you wanted it to be for that day from, I, I was down there at like one thirty or two o'clock to just take it all and experience it. When you got, when I got there, uh, I got parking, first of all, which is fantastic. Yeah, I don't same. think I'm going to be able to go to a game five and a half hours early every Saturday, but <laughs> I enjoyed it. Cybergs was packed. Maggie O's was packed. <sighs> there was people all over Lufus Plaza, but it yeah. wasn't open for any actual like mingling. The games weren't open. The food weren't, wasn't open yet. That was all. Everybody, the city pavilion was packed. Mm-hmm. Like These areas that we wanted to develop and be excited for game day around City Park were in full game day excitement mode five and a half plus hours before the game started. And not to mention the other areas like Schlafly Taproom, Beffa's, uh, Brick River Cidery, like all these places that are existing around the stadium that people were just packing. Schlafly had Schlafly had re- reached capacity mm. before the game started. They couldn't let more people in the building until somebody left. I don't recall seeing that at Schlafly maybe – maybe one other time for a, when a concert was in town, but that, that doesn't happen and it's going to happen regularly. So all these bars, this was a, a sign of things to come, but it provided the greatest backdrop that we could have asked for, for this match. To be honest, there's not enough bars there. <laughs> like we need more everywhere. I walked, there were lines and lines and lines and lines. And I just wanted a beer. So I know lesson learned. Hey here. man, if nothing else, like, some some developers, some business owners, they need to see it to believe it. We live in the yeah. show me state for a reason. That's the <laughs> moniker that keeps coming back. Yeah. This this and what they're going to see consistently, because this this is not going away. Mm-hmm. The hype around the first game, that'll fade. 
But the excitement, the sellouts, the people that are going to be down there, that's not fading. And so seeing more need for these bars and restaurants in that area is only going to be a good thing. A beer truck. You can just drive it up, sell a ton of beer, and then drive it back home. That's the way to go. Oh, man. They do have that, uh, what is it, the St. Louis bar? You know, the, they've got a bar food yeah, truck I've seen it. that has, like, yeah, taps and liquors and stuff. <laughs> that's that's what they need to have there down there on that Luffy's Plaza. Agree. Get on it. Um, all right, guys, that's it. I think we've we've covered quite a bit today, and I think we can sign off. We've got – oh, you got something? Go ahead, Matt. We didn't even touch on the U.S. Open Cup or Leagues Cup. We didn't. Um, I think. I mean, let's let's hit real quick. So, okay. leagues cup, leagues cup. We knew the group we were in, Club America, uh, Columbus Crew. It's the tournament that takes place between uh, July and August. There's a gap in the MLS schedule. It's for leagues cup. It takes place with all teams in MLS, all teams in Liga MX, and the top three teams in the tournament will get Concacaf Champions League spots. So it's a big deal from a. Um, a, a continental perspective as well, and for for more visibility to your club, uh, our our matches were announced this week, so we know that on July 23rd we will travel to Columbus to play the Columbus Crew, and on July 27th we will welcome one of the biggest clubs in Mexico, Club America, to St. Louis at City Park. Meaning that in addition to our MLS season, we're going to have two of the biggest clubs in their respective geographic regions having played at City Park in one year in addition to a national team game it's it's exciting regardless of how you think the the tournament is organized and the reasons behind it it's exciting to have those kinds of matches and those kinds of opportunities did you say that the winner of the league's cup gets a Concacaf champions league the top three spots oh thank you in the tournament so the winner gets a buy into like the round of 16 or something but then the second and third place teams in the league's cup um are are qualified to ccl holy cow so is yeah. that changed from the regular mls clubs that get and the open um, team that gets it's in in addition so they're expanding ccl oh it's got expanded it. Thank it's you. an expanded field yeah so the the same rules that. still apply for mls mls cup qualifies western eastern champions mm-hmm. um and the canadian cup champions make it as well Okay, good to know. Sorry, I, I hadn't read up on that one. Um, yeah. But speaking of getting a CCL berth, you know, the Open Cup does that as well. And yep. Matt, you really, you're going to regret open, opening this can of worms because opening Open Cup has taken a step back this year massively. Yeah. Like only certain games are going to get broadcast and it's going to get on the uh, Bleacher Report app and YouTube. Like, yeah. what a freaking mess. Like clearly we all knew that League's Cup was going to start taking away from the Open Cup just by nature because it's got money behind it. Um, but this is an embarrassment for U.S. soccer, in my opinion. I think it's a direct byproduct of that new relationship that U.S. soccer has with Turner. Mm. And and the priority that, I don't know if it's Turner specifically, I'm, I'm going to blame them because they're who I really think is driving where they're covering certain U.S. soccer properties. We've seen national team games be broadcast on HBO Max and on TNT, but they're relegating the open cup to bleacher report app and YouTube. And they're relegating it to select featured matches in each round now. Whereas last year and previous years, ESPN plus had really carried the torch to at least provide a platform to watch every single open cup match. And last year they went the step further, their football America show uh, with Sebastian Salazar and Hector Gomez. They, they did a whip around show for one or two of the open cup nights. And it was amazing. Like that was the kind of coverage that 
led into our desire to see this whip around by MLS. So to go from ESPN Plus providing that level of coverage and and building it up to what it was last year to be dropped to this is embarrassing. Yeah, and it, I mean, the what sucks is the historic nature of the Open Cup and that it never should have been bypassed by anything, really. It nope. should be... It should be the premier tournament in the United States. I know I'm probably one of the few that believe that. I think I can speak for Stuart in that regard, that it it should be the premier tournament in the United States for soccer, but it's not. It's it's becoming the third, the you know, the, the red-headed stepchild of, of soccer in this country, and it's, it's so freaking sad. There, there's a lot of, I mean, you don't need to be in the weeds of soccer in the U.S. to understand the importance. You could just throw out some quick stats of it's the oldest tournament in this country as far as soccer or as far as any other sport goes that's still lasting um you compare it to pop culture reference so everybody's familiar i think at this point with if you're listening to this you're familiar with ted lasso Mm -hmm. so ted lasso's core storyline in season two was the fa cup that's what our version of the open that's what our open cup is it's our version of the fa cup and And ours is older Ours is older, yes, and that excitement that that exists when a lower league club has a chance to—you don't even have to have the pro rel argument. You can just say they have a chance to play these higher level teams. It works just as well in a closed system as it does in an open system for this tournament perspective. Because yeah. every year the FA Cup happens in a bubble, like it's whatever league you're in now that determines when you enter the tournament, what teams you're playing. Same concept with the Open Cup; it's the mm-hmm. exact same concept, and it. It is it is maddening that we can't highlight these deserving teams this one time and provide American fans the opportunity to see that same kind of storyline that hell Ted Lasso marketed so well. Mm-hmm. Agree. Very sad. Uh, I mean, I like the League's Cup. You know, just to say that the League's Cup is in it. I hope most people will disagree with me on this one too. I hope it's a precursor to the, like a North American uh, Super League because it's the only way I can picture mm-hmm. pro rel happening in the United in the United States is turning that into a Super Cup. But otherwise, you know, I'm an Open Cup kid through and through. Don Garber was asked about promotion relegation for the upteenth time this year, and for the first time that I can ever remember hearing him, he did not immediately shut it down. He just said that it may, in the future, be something to consider. I hope that's, that's the that's the that's the foot in the door of the conversation to me. Yeah. But but either way, um, I, I think I look at this from a business perspective. I don't look at this as MLS having anything to do with it at this point because if you remember. Um, Soccer United Marketing, which is MLS's marketing arm and had been uh, doing marketing for U.S. soccer as far as their television deals. You know, this this intertwining of these business arrangements go back years and years and years, except for this past year when U.S. soccer said no thanks to some. And they started doing their own in-house marketing, doing their own in-house deals, which led to this Turner arrangement. Yeah. So MLS is getting screwed in the Open Cup just as much as any other team because the rounds that they enter are not automatically televised. Mm-hmm. This isn't just the the Division Four and amateur teams that are getting screwed out of visibility. It's everybody related to this tournament because only select matches in every single round are going to be available on Bleacher Report and YouTube unless a team decides to do in-house production of their match. And I think lastly, the last thing I want to say is that I'm really curious how clubs uh, prioritize starters and and backups. You know, 
traditionally everyone pretty much plays their two team in the open cup for the first couple of rounds. And right. then once they kind of get a view of CCL, they start actually carrying. And I imagine that's going to be true. Now, if you talk about St. Louis city this year, to be honest, I would love for them to punt on leagues cup. I mean, that club America game is going to be so much fun. Right. And it'd be cool to put a good foot forward, but with the history of the open cup, like if we have to punt on leagues cup so that we can put our best foot forward in the open cup, like historically in St. Louis, this is something we should probably be talking about and pushing for. And I hope the club has had this thought process because it's really important to me personally who admittedly I love the open cup more than the average uh, soccer, you know, consumer, but my God, like, please, please put a good foot forward in the open cup. I want to agree with you, but I think there's going to be some encouragement by MLS to not punt leagues cup under any circumstances. Just I'm scared because... Garber's going to make some calls. Garber <laughs> I, I himself. I, like, why did you punt on leagues cup? What I would are you be doing. I would be more surprised than not if those back channel conversations didn't happen at some level between MLS headquarters, because the just look at the schedule. The last match we play before the League's Cup is July 13th. We play the 23rd and the 27th of July for sure. Our next match isn't scheduled until August 20th. So Garber's going to full on say mm. you have all this time. Yes, you have fixed your congestion uh, earlier in the season with all these other things. You have an extended season in general. But this is a, if nothing else, remember that, uh, did you see that in, there's a, a rumored opt-out clause that Apple has with MLS that if they don't get a certain number of subscribers, there's a, it's a rumor, it's not mm. confirmed, that they have some kind of an opt-out clause. Garber did not directly answer when he was asked about that. That's, that was an athletic article. The League's Cup is a core piece of this overall deal, providing all these high-quality, high-profile matches between MLS and Liga Mekis. So there is no doubt in my mind that teams are going to be encouraged, given the schedule, uh, especially that, and, and this Apple deal, that they need to put their best foot forward in these matches. Choose money, everyone. Choose money over history and romanticism. You know, I mean, to me, that's what the answer yep. is, and it's so freaking sad. It's the worst part of MLS. It really is, and it's... I would not say that if it wasn't so blatantly clear that that is the case. And so it hurts me to think about, and that's some of the stuff that I loved about the USL. Like there's no doubt in our minds, we're going to put uh, the best we got put forward in the forward. open cup because uh, a romantic, you know, underdog run is like what magic is in, in the United States in the open cup. So, you know, and, and maybe, maybe this gives the USL more of a chance. So in that case, I would love it. Right. Uh, but you know, of course I'm sorry, but I had to say, Money versus history and romanticism in soccer is, is that's that's the deal here. It is, yeah. The League's Cup is is being parlayed as a way to grow the game, a very different way to grow the game than the Open Cup. Um, I, I want to look at them as individual bubbles, and I think that they each have their merits. And I definitely think the Open Cup is getting the raw end of the deal overall this year. It, it deserves far more notoriety than it's given, but I, I do think that in today's landscape, each of them has their place and each of them should be showcased. Um, we just haven't seen what league's cup will offer. I'm excited for it still, but I would, I I'm desperate for more open cup. I'm going to watch every, everything we get offered these select matches. I just want more. Yeah, and to be fair, MLS has a goal. They have, um, 
they have motivation that is money. Money is the best motivator. It's true, unfortunately, in history. Yeah. That's just the way it is. And U.S. soccer has none. I mean, they're a nonprofit. I don't think they're out to true. make money in this. And all they're doing, like, they're just doing a terrible job of managing the Open <laughs> Cup. And that's just like, typically, that's that's the way it works in the world. Is you know, if money's yeah. behind it, it runs well. If money's not behind it, it's run terribly. So, you know, screw screw U.S. soccer for that for that. You know. <laughs> Um, they've got romance on their side and they're really bad at running things. That's just, that's the world, right? They, they are not hopeless romantics. That's pretty <laughs> obvious. Yeah. And, and would a hopeless romantic do a good job running the open cup? I'm not sure. Maybe not. Maybe yeah. not. Never know. <laughs> I'll let yeah, you know I, when I get the job. I, I know we got to get out of here. I think let's, um, I don't know. Let's go on a high note at least. So what do you think? We didn't get into actual predictions of Portland. Mm. So shifting back to city, back to Portland this weekend. Everything we've talked about from the injuries to Portland, from both teams' first couple matches, from the the Portland stats from last year going into this year, City's form. How do you see this one playing out? You know, I was wrong last time, and I think I'm going to be wrong this time. Dead wrong in in what I think. But like at some point, I think um, clean sheets is going to become important. Uh, and so I think away games is, is maybe where we'd like to see that play out. And I think against Portland, who didn't look incredible against LAFC until late, I think they may be our first clean sheet. So I'll say like 1-0 St. Louis. Whoa. Not just a clean sheet, but a clean sheet at Portland in Providence Park. Yeah. <laughs> it's a bold statement. I, l- <laughs> I love that gutsy take. What do you think, Matt? I... I mean, I'm still going to say City wins. Um, I think it's going to go 2-1. I I just haven't seen very much consistency in their offense. I don't think their transition is as good as ours right now, especially with their injuries. Agree. Um, I really think if we can shut down Evander, then we'll have an opportunity. And I have no reason to believe Blome isn't up to the task. Yeah. We're getting them at the right time, like we said earlier. So we've got a chance for sure. We'll keep yeah. we'll keep taking anything anyone will give us. So who's your who's your goal scorer then? You had one nothing. Ooh, um, I'm gonna say ooh, I'm gonna say Tim Parker again on a corner. Oh, <laughs> wow! For his fourth goal, two of his career is that what it was, or would it be his fifth? And two of them would be for St. Louis. I think his fifth. Yeah, yeah, this would be his fifth, and two of them for St. Louis. That's yeah. I love that. I love that. I thought about calling a Bartlett goal, and I, I chose I chose Parker. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm gonna go with an Indy Vasilev goal. I like it. Because I put him to start, so I'm going to stick with him. I have my Indy Vasilev jersey upstairs. Uh, and so I had 2-1. to one. I, I th- I'm just going to say – actually, I'm going to say Nizgoda is going to score, not Evander. Nizgoda is their number 11, Polish striker, another designated player. Nine goals last year, but nothing so far. No shots on goal so far. Mm-hmm. I, I, have a, I think he'll get something going, and I think he'll find the back of the net. Um, but so, so for us, Vasilev, and I'll go with Rasmus Alm. Oh, interesting. I liked the article this week from Tom Timmerman on Rasmus Alm. He just seems like a guy we didn't really know a whole lot about going into this year. Yes. Um, and and the more I read about him, the more I see him play, the more excited I am for him. Um, I like those guys who they're not the biggest star. I love Leuven. Leuven's my guy. But I love the guys who aren't like the biggest known stars. So like mm. the expected stars. I like those 
almost next tier kind of players where it's like they're role players. They're really, really good, but they're not going, they're not necessarily going to be the presumed all-stars. They're not going to be the presumed highest goal scorers. I like those hardworking type players. And so I'm going to go with Vasilev and Alm. Yeah. Alm has like this high floor where he like came in in that second game. And that's where I really started to love him where I was like, Oh gosh, like nothing's going to go wrong on that side. I can tell. And he's going to cause some trouble here and there, even on top of that. So, yeah, it is weird that he is one of the players. I think we, put in pen at that in that roster yeah. along with like a Leuven or a Parker or something where there wasn't ever a battle considered for the the right side it was always if if Ostrock Stroud and Alm play we're gonna have to figure else the middle and the left side because mm-hmm. Alm is out there on the right and the first match he was obviously there when he came in as a sub in the second against Charlotte right back on the right side so I think that's his when he's in the game that is his side and Absolutely. if he's not in the game if he's not in the game I think we're more likely to run with a two striker formation agree totally agree well said all right let's call it um i'm sure this is a long one we might be close to that two hour mark on this one Matt. it, it was a weird one because we paused a couple times That's for true. various things and we had that the the first ktrs part so uh again interested in feedback if anybody has it because this is kind of sort of the new format going forward i i, I like it you know the second half kind of feels a little like a an exhale a decompression so to speak so I'm just excited. When I couldn't think of what to say earlier, it was because I wanted to reiterate that I think the wind down is perfect. It's very casual <laughs> and, and I'm relaxed. I love it. Thanks, Matt, for uh, joining me and, and being the details guy. I've got three pages of notes here. Thanks to Matt. And it was so I helpful. Love it. Thanks, man. Um, this is always fun. Thank you all for listening. If you made it this far, we'll be talking to you guys next week. Have a good one. <laughs>